This morning we're going to be picking up uh, Jonah's sea story where we left off last week. And in case you need a reminder or you missed it, I'm just going to do a really quick review. We saw from Jonah chapter 1 that this prodigal prophet willfully sought to disobey the command of God uh, to cry out against this great city of Nineveh. Instead of uh, traveling something over 500 miles to the northeast to arrive to Nineveh, Jonah set out by ship from Joppa, heading northwest towards Tarshish. Jonah's disobedience brought about a storm which threatened the ship and its sailors. Only through their persistent questioning did they learn the reason of the storm, for the storm. And only after great efforts to save Jonah did they finally cast him overboard. Well, today we'll be finding out what happened to Jonah after he hit the ocean waters. As we move on to chapter 2, the scene will shift from, to an undersea perspective that describes the prayer and plight of Jonah in the form of a poem or a psalm. As we go through these verses, I'll be sharing with you five lessons that Jonah found inside the belly of the fish. Now, as I was studying this, again, I, I think there are a lot of um, good uh, messages that one can pull from here, a lot of great lessons. Um, uh, you could probably come up with a whole sermon in each single verse. But again, for the sake of time, and I just pulled out five, five lessons again that uh, Jonah found inside the belly of the fish. Um, and so my hope is that you'll learn, that you'll also learn them now before you find yourself in the belly of a different kind of fish. So before we get into the word, let's ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Lord Heavenly Father, creator, maker of heaven and earth, the great I am, Abba, Father, we come before you now as your children, as your loved ones, and ask you to speak to us through your word this morning, that we forget about the issues and problems going on outside these walls. May we just focus on you. We want to hear from you now, Lord. Soften our hearts, soften our minds, Lord. Fill this room with your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Jonah chapter 1. As I said, we're going to finish off verse 17 and then move on to chapter 2. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So our passage this morning begins by telling us what happened to Jonah after he was thrown overboard. Now before I move on to chapter 2, I want to mention some important points about this verse that uh, stick out to us and that we ought to keep in mind. Verse 17 begins by saying, The Lord appointed. This means that God prepared something beforehand for a unique purpose. And in this case, the Lord appointed a great fish. 
Now we don't know what kind of fish this was. Some speculate it was a species of whale. Others said it was a large fish um, known as the sea dog. All I can say for certain is that it was uh, a lifeboat fish. It was, it was a pretty big fish. I mean, this maybe does it justice, um, but it was pretty. It was a pretty big fish. Um, there, there's a story of a whaler named James Bartley, who in 1891 reportedly fell into the sea while harpooning a large sperm whale. When the whale was killed and dissected, Bartley was found in the whale's stomach, unconscious but alive. While some have argued that the incident was carefully investigated and true, the widow of the ship's captain de denied that it ever happened. Now, it may be questioned that, if this, that the story of James Bartley is true or not, but certainly the story of Jonah is true because Jesus said it was true. In Matthew 12, 40, we read Jesus said Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. Verse 17 also says, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, we'll get more into this part later on. However, it seems to me that the miracle here was not that the fish could swallow a man, but that Jonah wasn't digested. Now, some may say that scientifically, this is a possibility. But when you look at a lot of the stories in the Bible, we see, I think most of us see stories, story after story, where God defies the laws of science and what is logically inconceivable. Or what is, yeah, what is, and he does things. He, I mean, you go through the Old Testament, you hear stories where, man, that's, I mean, logically and scientifically it doesn't make sense, but the way I see it, I mean, we, we have a God that can create something out of nothing and so if he wants to create a special fish if he can make the sun stand still if he can create um, live bodies from from bones um, i believe that he can create a fish a special fish just for this purpose now there is a lot again there's a lot of stories and way too many for me to point out right now I should also mention that our Lord referred to Jonah's situation as an illustration of his death and resurrection in, in Matthew 12:40. Just as Jonah's three-day burial in the tomb, followed by restoration of the Ninevites, functioned as a sign, so the Messiah's three days in the tomb would function as a sign to Israel and the world. And again, I'll get more into that um, towards the end of my message here. So now that we know what happened to Jonah and where he finds himself at, now we can move on to chapter 2 and read uh, his words more uh, with more clarity and understanding. So here we are now beginning in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I, cry, I cried out for help from the deep inside 
from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. Chapter 2 begins with a scene, with a scene shifting from the sailors and the ship to only Jonah, the fish, and God. Jonah, no doubt, expected to die in the waters of the sea. But when he woke up inside the fish, he realized that God had graciously spared him. We're told in verse 1 that he prays to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Here, for the first time, Jonah speaks directly to Yahweh and primarily recounts his distress in the water and gives thanks for his physical and unusual deliverance. Like the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, whom Jonah in his, rebell in his rebellion greatly resembles, it was the goodness of God that brought him to repentance. The amazing context of his poetic prayer is Jonah's gratitude while inside the fish. You see, Jonah fully expected to die in the water. So his thanksgiving from the belly of the fish is a proclamation of joy when he realized that God had delivered him in spite of the fact that he ran, in, in spite of the fact that he disobeyed. The poem also offers a window into the nature and circumstances of true gratitude. Jonah's prayer be begins with a summary of his cry for help. There, in verse 2, he's describing his drowning in the sea as he's sinking. Sheol, here, refor refers to the abode, to the home of the dead. And the depth of Sheol refers to his near-death experience. Jonah uses the term figuratively here to describe the fact that he was on the brink of death. He was about to die. He answered me, and you heard my voice refer to Yahweh's fish that rescued him from drowning. Here, here's what we can learn from this verse. Lesson one, God hears your cry no matter where you're at. Jonah's song of thanksgiving demonstrates the power of praise and thanksgiving in dire circumstances for the one who turns to Yahweh. From inside the fish, Jonah speaks in the past tense. Jonah thanks Yahweh and describes his gratitude for his salvation while still in the fish, far from final safety. 
In the same way, God heard the cries, uh, Jonah's cries for help. He hears each and every one of you too. Prayer is one of the constant miracles in the Christian life. Think about it. Our God is so great that he can hear the cries of millions of people all at the same time and deal with their needs personally. As parents of three kids, and maybe if you have kids or you've had kids of your own, I have found, Robin and I have found that it's uh, impossible to meet all their needs at, all at the same time. But God is able to provide for all his children, no matter where they are or what their needs may be. He who has learned to pray, said William Law, William Law, has learned the greatest secret of a holy and happy life. I hope that's something that you all realize from the depths of your being no matter what's going on in your lives, no matter what's going on, you can take it to God in prayer. And he promises that he will hear and answer your prayer. Now, you may not always like the answer, but he will, he will always answer your prayers in one way or another. And this is important, according to his will and purpose. Psalm 34, 17 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and rescues them from all their troubles. Verses 3 to 6 describe Jonah sinking in the water before he's swallowed up by the fish. Even though the sailors had thrown him into the sea, Jonah saw God's sovereign hand behind their action. In the same way, he saw God in charge of the seas, breakers, and billows. Now, if you guys don't know what breakers and billows are, all that basically means it's another way of saying the seas, waves, the, 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 the torrent of the, of the waves during the storm. Jonah's discipline for insisting on his own way was to experience despair from being banished from God's sight, which here means out of his favor. However, Luke 22:32 tells us his faith had not failed as he voiced his hope of praying to, to the God who had manifested his special presence in the temple of, in Jerusalem. Jonah's very life was threatened as he was engulfed up to the neck under the waters of the waves and as seaweed was wrapped around his head. And my family and I have, we've been to the beach a lot and I've been going, you know, growing up in, in Southern California, you know, I, went, I would go to the beach a lot and I'll tell you what, I hate seaweed. I hate, the, it even just touches my foot, you know, because especially what's in the water because it will wrap around your foot and it's just, I hate the way it feels, it's just, it feels slimy and, and gross. And can you imagine that wrapped around your head? I'm sure Jonah felt like he was about to suffocate. I'm sure that it just was 
if I hate it around my foot, I can't imagine what it's like around my head. So again, this was wrapped around his, his head. He felt like he was about to die. The foundations of the mountains in verse 6 were understood to be the depths of the earth under the sea. So here Jonah saw himself descending into the grave. He further describes his despair as being in the tomb of the sea because he was locked behind the gates of the earth. But after describing all that he went through, Jonah reminds us at the end of verse 6 why this was a prayer of thankfulness. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. In verses 3 to 6, we see our second lesson, the importance of seeking the Lord. Sitting in the belly of the fish for three days and nights causes Jonah to finally get it. It clicks. The light bulb turns on and he has a dramatic turn. In verse 4, he decides that he will look again to the holy temple. Turning towards the temple was an expression used to speak of a person turning towards the Lord, praying to the Lord, and seeking favor of the Lord. What Jonah is concluding is that he will seek the Lord. What was brought, what, what was it that brought Jonah to this point? Well, verse 2 reveals that Jonah called out to the Lord in his distress. Verse 7 tells us that Jonah remembered the Lord when his life was fading away. Going through a life-changing experience is not going to bring you back to the Lord unless you recognize the distress and danger you were, you were in or are in spiritually. You see, Jonah understood that he was separated from the Lord. He says in verse 4, But I said, I have been banished from your sight. This is the realization that one must come to. One must come to experience a true turning point in one's life. They have to come to that point where they just, they just get it. Man. I'm a mess. My life's, my life's a mess. Look where I'm at. I'm inside the belly of a fish. Like Jonah, and like myself, like what happened to myself, to me in 2010, it usually takes hitting rock bottom. And it's often there at that rock bottom that a backslidden Christian understands the depths to which they've sunk and be ready to seek God's help and deliverance. You see, we must clearly see for ourselves the devastating reality of our spiritual situation before we seek the Lord. I know I've mentioned it before, but for 10 long years, I walked away from the Lord. I was a backslidden Christian. I just did my own thing. And when finally I was in the belly of my fish, I came to that realization that, man, I'm a mess. 
my life's a mess. I need to return to the Lord. I need to go back. I need to see His temple. And for many, that's what it usually takes. And it doesn't have to be that way. Sometimes it, it takes a Jonah-like event to wake us up from spiritual blindness. Sometimes it's a very serious, life-changing event that will rattle our spirituality so that we will consider seeking the Lord. For many, it requires a near-death experience to cause us to reconsider our ways. But I want us to notice an important message here. It's not too late to turn back to God. Jonah had utterly rejected God's call to the point that he would rather die than obey, than obey. But even as his life was passing before his eyes, he recognizes, he realizes, it clicks that it's not too late. So if you find yourself today where Jonah is at or was at, it's not too late for you either. Like Jonah, know this, there's still a way of hope. God promises, God's promises of grace remains even after plunging ourselves in the folly of sin. So, as Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. So now as we move forward into the final three verses of Jonah's psalm, he tells, uh, he tells the story of answered prayer. So let's look at that um, here and... Uh, by picking up in verse 7. As I pick up in verse 7. Jonah chapter 2, verse 7. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. In these three verses of the poem, Jonah summarizes his cry for rescue and then um, declares Yahweh as the true source of salvation. There in that first line of verse, uh, verse 7, Jonah recalls that he came as close as possible to death before returning, before turning in helplessness to, to Yahweh. I remember the Lord means I acted on the basis of his commitment to me. Jonah knew God's covenant promises and he claimed them. By faith, he looked towards God's temple and asked God to deliver him. 
and God kept his promise and answered his call. Here, not just in verse 7, but also in verse 6, we see a third lesson. God is in control. When Jonah rebelled, God remained in control. In his love and patience, he did not give up on Jonah, but brought him back home, or brought him back in line. If you're struggling and don't understand why things are happening the way they are, remember that God is in control over that situation. Even when it seems that your life is on the verge of chaos, when its, very, when its very foundations are threatened and when our circumstances seem out of control, God is in control. He's still in control. The Bible says that His ways are higher than my ways and His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I know that that doesn't always make life, uh, life difficulties easy, but at least it puts it in perspective to know that God has a reason for what He is doing. He hasn't forgotten about you. He doesn't hate you. He has a plan for you. And sometimes His plan includes being swallowed by a fish. The Lord said in Isaiah 45, 7, I form light and create darkness. I make success and create disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things. So whatever difficult situation you're in, never forget God is in control. Trust Him. In verse 8, Jonah declares his covenant loyalty to Yahweh by noting the emptiness and worthlessness of any, subs of, of any substitute worthless idols. He's saying here that those who regard idols abandon their loyalty to Yahweh. The emphasis here appears to be abandoning their source of confidence, the true Lord and not experiencing his faithfulness or covenant loyalty. For this reason, idolatry leads to multiple sorrows. He may also be realizing that resisting God, running away from him, was like being an idolater. that just as God's deliverance of the sailors led them to sacrifice and vow to the Lord, it also led Jonah to promise to give a sacrifice. His vow is evidently a promise to continually thank and obey God. At one time or another, Jonah had probably said what we've all said at one time or another, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Well, he now realizes that, he, that um, he must stop resisting God. 
and now he has to walk the talk. At the end of this poetic prayer, Jonah also understands that the, situ that the situation he was in couldn't, he couldn't save himself. Uh, that because of the situation he's in, he couldn't save himself. And nobody on earth, nobody at all, could save him. However, and this is the great thing, this is again what he realizes, the Lord could do it because salvation belongs to the Lord. This is a quotation from Psalm 3.8 and Psalm 37.39. And it's the central declaration of this book. And it's also the central theme of this entire book, of the, the Word of God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. How wise of Jonah to memorize the Word of God. Because being able to quote the scriptures, especially the book of Psalms, gave him light in the darkness and hope in his seemingly hopeless situation. This leads us to our fourth lesson. All salvation comes from the Lord. People have so many false notions of how to appeal conscience. Some try to appease that feeling by trying uh, their hardest just to be, to be good, be spiritual, give money, or some other good deed. Rather than doing these things for God's glory, they do these things in an effort to quiet their conscience that tells them, tells them this, you're still a sinner. You're, no matter what you do, you're still a sinner. The truth is, every single good deed that you do, that I do, that we all do, do not negate all the evil that we have done. It does not take much life experience to realize that our evil deeds are like a wadded piece of paper. We can't open, we cannot open that ball of paper and smooth it out to the degree that the paper was when it was new. In the same way, we cannot fully fix what we've said, what we've, the things that we, we can't fix what we've said and done to others and what we've done to God. We have offended God and that can't be taken back. What has occurred, what has occurred to Jonah is a great metaphor for us, for us in our spiritual condition. Jonah was dead in the sea and only God could save him. Likewise, because of our disobedience to God, because of our sins, we are dead in our sins. And guess what? Only God can save us. God, who has the power to save Jonah from death in the ocean and in the belly of the fish, has the power to save you 
from eternal destruction. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. You have to confess. You have to believe. Just saying, yeah, I, be I believe in Jesus isn't enough. It's confessing. Confessing Jesus and believing in Him. Now, as, as, a, as a side note, another important issue in this chapter is the question of whether or not this psalm implies that Jonah has repented and is now a willing prophet. Now many pastors, maybe there's, uh, and maybe different commentaries will say different things about what's going on here with, uh, with Jonah. Here's what I see. Well, since the Bible tells us that repentance is not a single act, but rather involves both continual, continual change in attitudes and action, what we see in the rest of the book indicates that Jonah hadn't reached complete repentance. Yeah, Jonah was clearly thankful that his life had been saved. The fact that repent, however, the fact that repentance isn't mentioned in this chapter and, his bad and that his bad attitude continued in chapter 4 therefore leads me to suggest this. This is essentially the same Jonah who fled to Joppa for Tarshish. He has simply been shown that this is one assignment that he cannot escape from. He's going to Nineveh one way or another. He may have been, he may have, again, been thankful that the Lord rescued him, but full repentance again wasn't there. The chapter then ends with one final verse. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. When non-human creation hear God speak, there's no resistance to His Word. And that's what makes us different from the, the rest of, of, of creation. You see, only human beings need to be commanded by God. And then when that happens, we have a choice whether to obey or not. A simple word from the Creator is enough for the rest of creation. If God says something, it's done. And again, that's what makes us unique. That's what makes us special. And that's what makes us dumb. That's what, you know, but, you know, He created us this way. Now, the fact that this fish vomited Jonah onto dry land also suggests a couple things. Firstly, being vomited perhaps symbolizes God's disgust at Jonah's prior disobedience or even his continual, con continued bad attitude. And secondly, 
the text does not state where Jonah was vomited by the fish. The logical implication, however, is that Jonah may be back in Joppa where he started. Here's the thing. Reluctant obedience has instructive value. And Jonah now has the opportunity to demonstrate that he has learned at least part of that lesson. So off he goes to Nineveh. And here in this, in this final verse, we learn our fifth and final lesson. God will deliver. Jonah's deliverance came after three days and three nights had passed, providing a foreshadowing of Jesus' resurrection. I've mentioned this already in the beginning, but um, Jesus said in 1240, these were his, ex his exact words, for as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. His descent to the earth and his willing humility, even, after, even to death on a cross, brought redemption to all. His three-day descent into death means that there's no place that no place or experience is devoid of God's presence. Jonah's experience of God in the belly of the fish is the premier narrative description of God's presence even in the place of the dead. God was there. God was in the grave. God was in, there in, the, in Shoal. Paul repeated this theme when he was declaring that nothing, nothing at all, will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When Jesus points to the sign of Jonah as a sign of his own work, it includes the recognition that God is at work to save. Jonah's sign is also just full of wonder. You see, a place of death, and in this case here in our story, the belly became a place of deliverance. In a world that fears death, that is scared, of dying, Jonah's primary sign of proclaiming, of, of proclaiming and living the gospel. The sign of Jonah has become identified <clears throat> with the hope of life in Christ now. In the promise, in the promise of the resurrection to come, Jonah is a captive of the fish, but the fish is his good news. In the belly, Jonah is protected from the waves and drowning. He is rescued, saved, and protected. On the other hand, he's also captive. His witness in Jonah 2 is that, the, is that this captivity 
is a captivity in which he is grateful. His experience of the captivity is an experience, is an experience of grace. The worshiping community of faith lives in the same captive freedom, pursued and captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul describes the wonder of being saved now, but expecting what has not yet happened, his own home going. His is a description of the church in the belly of, of expecting or expectation of the second coming. The expectation is that something more is better, something more and better is yet to come. So as I begin to close, I hope, uh, well, let me, let me just quickly repeat the lessons we've learned from chap Jonah chapter 2. Keep this in mind. God hears your cry no matter where you're at. It's important that you continually seek the Lord. No matter if you're at a high place, no matter if you're in a mountaintop, if you're in the valley, if you're in the desert, if you're in the belly of a fish. It's important that you continually seek the Lord. Number three, God is in control. God is in control of whatever situation you're in, good and bad. Trust Him. We have a God, a great and amazing God that loves you. If you just trust the fact that He's got it, if you just leave it to Him and say, Lord, I'm done stressing about this. I don't want to, uh, you told me not to be anxious. Um, let me just give this to you, man. It's such a relief. It is a, a great relief to you personally when that baggage is taken off your back and you, know, and you know that the Lord loves you and He's taking care of it. He's in control of everything. Number four, all salvation comes from the Lord. And lastly, Number five, God will deliver. It's going to come a time, and I, you know, I went over this a few weeks ago, but it's going to take us home, and that will be our day of deliverance. Whether it's when we breathe our final breath here on earth, or when we're raptured up to heaven, He will we'll finally have our day of deliverance. It may not look like being vomited by a whale, but um, nonetheless, it's, it's our deliverance. And man, I'm looking forward to that day, and all you should too. All of you should be looking forward to that day where He will finally uh, deliver us. God desires to save and deliver
each and every one of you. But He also wants you to seek Him out. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. Is that what you want? Is that what you desire to finally have that fellowship? If you find yourself right now in the belly of the fish and you've sought all answers, you try looking for different ways of getting out of this belly, and, but you've never trusted in the Lord, you've never surrendered your life to Him, this is a great opportunity here. I mean, um, all you've got to do is just open the door to your heart and let him in. Let him in so he can clean out all that junk that's in there. All the mess that's keeping you down, all the mess that's, that's keeping you from living a victorious life, the life that he created you to have, that he wants you to have. It's hard, yes, it's difficult. There are challenges, this world, you know, people are gonna bring you down. They're gonna wanna put their foot on your neck but you know what with Christ you have victory he cares about you he loves you he died for you and he wants to help you through those circumstances and as you get to know him more and more as you fall in love with him more and more it becomes easier it becomes easier just to to trust him to 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 follow Him, to stay away from those bad influences, to stay away from those uh, situations that um, are always getting you into trouble. And that's, again, when you begin to see that He is delivering you. First, again, He wants to save you. And if that's you, if you're here, you're watching, you're listening, and you're ready to do that. You're ready to surrender your life. You're ready to make Jesus into your Lord and Savior. You want to open up those doors. You're ready to open up those doors and just fellowship with Him. Then, then you have an, I, I, there's an opportunity right now to do that. I can lead you in a prayer to do that. So if you're if that's you, just wherever you're at, close your eyes. And with all your heart, don't just pray this, just to pray it, just to, to, to get a check mark on some kind of list and feel like you're getting a get out of jail free card. But pray it with all sincerity, with all your heart. Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner and that I've sinned against you. I come before you now and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. 
I confess that Jesus is Lord. And I believe he is God. I believe that he died on the cross, that you sent him to die on the cross for my sins. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that he may, so that he may dwell in, my, in me for the rest of my life, Lord. I accept your forgiveness. And now help me to walk with you according to your ways in obedience or from here on forward. Remove the junk that needs to be removed, Lord. And give me the strength to, to walk one step at a time, Lord, in this journey. Give me the strength, but also help me to see, and also help me to see that you'll always, that you're always going to be there. Thank you for loving me and for dying for me, Jesus. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're if you prayed that, let us know. Talk to us. Call us. Write to us. Um, we'd like to hear about it and maybe guide you in your next steps um, of being a you know what you should you know being a Christian. But uh, yeah, don't don't remain anonymous. Don't try to be you know a closeted Christian, as I like to say. Go out there, start being bold, start being, um, start letting others know what God has done for you. For those of us that are here, I hope again that this story has taught you some valuable lessons. If, if not the lessons I mentioned here, maybe others that have stuck out to you. Again, as I said, there's just so much in here, and just in this chapter that... Um, you can take one verse and, and probably do, you know, a year-long series on each verse. You know, there's just so much we can learn here. But, you know, if you, you know, I recommend going back and dissecting it for yourself and seeing what else you can pull out. You know, if you're in the belly of a fish, God, is, God just wants you to call out to Him. Call out to the Lord cry out to the Lord, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing me. And I, believe me, I know what that is like. I got to a point where I fell on my knees and I cried, I, I cried out to the Lord, I need you, Lord. I've messed up my life. I screwed it up so much. I can't do this anymore. I, at that time, I, I felt like he, 
was tired of me and he just wasn't going to listen to him to me. But he came through. He showed me. He showed me he still loves me even after all those years of disobedience. And so what I'm trying to say here is that you don't have to go through that. Go through all that mess. You don't have to hit rock bottom. You can come to him now and just ask him to rescue you and just be thankful that he's still giving you life, that your heart is still beating, that you still have the breath in your lungs to say thank you. Because a day may come where, you know, it, you won't, you won't have that anymore. And he's going to judge you. And what are you going to say? Oh, well, I was going to later, later, later. I'm just not ready right now. Don't let that be you. Come to him now. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for those times that we just are unfaithful, disobedient, where those times that we run away from doing what you've called us to do, Lord, from hiding from you and trying to go 500 miles in the opposite direction. Lord, forgive us. So we come before you now Again, with a heart of thanksgiving and ask you to meet us, to fill us, to embrace us. We look to your temple. We look to you, to you and your throne. We fall on our knees and ask that you forgive us but also how thankful we are that you've given us another opportunity, another day to seek you out. I pray that everyone here will not stop, will always do that, will continually seek you out will search you even during those difficult times, those hard times when we just want to give up on our friends, our spouses, our kids, or whatever it may be, Lord. May everyone here just seek you out and remember your goodness and remember how faithful you've been. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for loving us.
Keep us safe in the palm of your hand this week, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.